welcome. This is Talking Joy, creating joy, inner peace, and authentic connections. My name is Pam Rotelli-Robertson, and I am founder of lifestyle brand Talking Joy. As a certified spiritual director, I have been leading groups with the power of words, the strength of positivity, and the gift of joy. During our time together, our focus will be on simple spiritual practices that can be applied to your everyday life with the wisdom and support of others. Talking Joy talks to help you realize your value. I am so glad you're here. Simple, joyful, fun. Let's get talking. Ann Sussman, welcome to the Talking Joy podcast. Ann's a certified mindfulness and meditation instructor. She helps people gain skills uh, to create mindfulness, and she empowers people to be compassionate listeners and how to share techniques for living your best life. Um, Anne, welcome. It's so good Thanks. to see you. Thanks. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah. We've known each other for um, for a long time now. Yeah. A number of years. Yeah. And uh, back when I was doing in-person small group life at my church, you came and and came to one of my women's groups and maybe a couple of them. I'm not sure if you came to one or yeah, two, but I think I came talked to about two. and talked about the importance of meditation and mindfulness. And I loved that because the girls were so excited about it that a couple of them, you know, worked with you for a while, a handful. Yeah. Yeah. That was great. I think yeah. they really got a lot out of that. Yeah. So, and the reason I say that is because this is just of such great value, you know, even going for a walk with my dogs you know, before we got on air this morning, I got outside and that fresh air was like, oh, this is exactly what I needed. And I like took a couple deep breaths in like one, two, three, four, five, six, and then on the out breath and just kind of just centered myself. And, and so I, those techniques and these techniques, which we'll talk about today are uh, just, I think, so important to the spiritual life and to our well-being. And so I'm, I'm excited to have you as our expert on mindfulness and meditation today to talk about that. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I love talking about it. It's my favorite subject. I can talk about it for hours. So thank you for having me. I think we're in a time where we're living in stressful times to begin with. And then we add on the stress of COVID and um, people are, are hungry for ways to cope. They're really searching for something that they can do. And I think meditation has a lot of misconceptions. So People get caught up in thinking they can't do it, they've tried, or maybe it's not for them, or they're not hippies, they don't look like me with feathers in their hair, you know, they just don't think it's worth it, they don't know how to do it. And then if they're just taught the very simple skills and connecting to your breath, it's life-changing. I mean, it was life-changing for me. So, you know, that's really how I got here, why, why I want to do this. The, the word that jumped out at me that you just said was simple. And I, I, I stress that a lot about teaching spiritual practices and ways that we can cope, you know, because the, the news just I'll t- put you in a tailspin, you know, the news just changes every, every day. And it's so anxiety ridden. And these tools are here for us. But I love that you said simple. So I thought that we would start with a meditation, you're going to lead us in a meditation sort of just to give us a taste of, of, you know, what that feels like and and your way of doing it. And I would just invite people to, uh, to just slow down and take a listen to us. And, you know, a lot of people listen to my podcast when they're out for a walk. (laughs) 
they can continue to walk and do it, or maybe I would invite them to come to come back to this section and, and just take a minute for themselves and five minutes. And yeah, yeah. for sure. It will still be just like a five minute um, centering. I call it a mindful moment. Um, yeah, if you're driving, you don't want to do this now. But if you can find a comfortable seat, um, wherever that might be in your home, in your car, even if you're in a parking lot, and when you get comfortable, just kind of settle in, settle into that seat, start to feel um, the bottom of your body supported by the seat, the back of your body supported. And closing your eyes if that feels comfortable or gazing gently downward at your hands in your lap and begin to take a few long, slow, deep breaths in and out of the nose. Really begin to feel the breath move in the body. And notice the temperature on your skin, the warmth or coolness of the air. Becoming aware of the sounds around you. There might be subtle sounds in the body, sounds in the room, there might be sounds in the house or maybe distant sounds outside. And noticing too how you can discern between which sounds are closer and which sounds are distant. And then noticing the environment that you're in. Even with your eyes closed, you can sense the space around you. You can feel the support. You can sense the room and maybe get a glimpse of how vast the awareness is, even with the eyes closed. The awareness is actually beyond the boundaries of the body. And then drawing that awareness, that attention inward and coming to find the breath moving in the body maybe noticing where the breath is most obvious at the tip of the nose, noticing the breath moving in and out, maybe cool air coming in through the nostrils, a bit warmer as it leaves above the upper lip, maybe noticing the breath most in the rise and fall of the chest or the belly as you breathe in and out. becoming aware of the subtle sensations of fullness on the inhale and emptiness on the exhale. And noticing too how just by paying attention to the body breathing, to the sensory experience around you that the body does begin to settle down. The mind may wanna follow, but there's lots going on in there. So if you can imagine parking what's most pressing just outside the space you're in. And maybe it'll be there when we're finished and maybe not. And maybe it'll come around again. That's what the mind does. But for now, bringing your attention to our time together, setting your intention to be as present as you can be, knowing you're giving yourself this great gift of self-care. 
Letting your breath just be natural now. No controlling it. It may speed up, it may slow down. And we're going to sit silent for just a minute. I'll mind the time. Noticing when your attention wanders off your breath and just bringing it right back to find the anchor of your breath again and again. Anchoring in the movement of the breath, letting the thoughts be there. Notice when your attention is drawn away from the breath and making the choice to come back to the breath again and again, wherever you find it. It's always there, it's the perfect anchor to the present moment. Now taking one more conscious breath in and out of the nose. Really enjoying the ease of the exhale. And when you feel ready, you can bring some movements to the fingers and the toes, stretching in the body and opening your eyes when you feel ready. So that was just about five minutes. I can't believe that that was five minutes. Yeah. Honestly, it felt like a minute. That's incredible. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, you know, people are looking outside themselves for all these answers. <laughs> and really, I believe we have all the answers we ever need, but we have the perfect tool, which is our breath. You don't need anything else but your breath. Why? Because your breath is always in the present moment. Your breath is free. Your breath is portable. Breath is always with you. So if you connect to your breath, it's very hard to be connected to your thoughts. And so when you notice, you know, it, it's not that you want to clear your mind when you're meditating. I, I think that's the biggest misconception. People sit down, they, they think they have to clear their mind. They notice how much is on their mind and they're like, Ugh, I just can't do it. This is not for me. I'm not meant to meditate. But the truth is meditation happens in the choice point, right? If your focus is on your breath, like we started with today, and you're noticing the breath and you're noticing it moving and you're noticing maybe the temperature of it and all of that. Maybe you want to stay on your breath, but within a moment or two, within a breath or two, you're over here thinking, why did I buy the blue ones? Should have bought the red ones or whatever you're thinking, right? You're maybe you're making a recipe in your head or you're thinking about what you have to do that day. So you can stay in your thoughts and then you're daydreaming. There's nothing wrong with daydreaming. It's just not meditation. Meditation actually happens in the choice point. In the moment that you notice your attention has wandered off your breath 
and landed on a thought and you choose to return your attention to your breath and you make that choice over and over and over again from thought to breath, from thought to breath, that's meditation. That's when you're doing it right. That's when the magic happens. You're training your attention to be really right where you want it to be. And the reason that you're doing that is not so that you get good at meditation. <laughs> Nobody meditates to get good at meditation, right? Meditation is always a practice. We meditate to get really good at our lives so that when we're walking around in our lives, we notice quite quickly, wait a minute, I'm not paying attention to the conversation I'm having with Pam and this person in front of me. I'm thinking about what I need to do next, where I need to go, what I left undone, you know? And so we're distracted. We're not present to our lives, to the person we're talking to. And, and that's what the training of meditation, it's really brain training. That's what we're doing. We're training our attention so that we can be as present as we can be in the present moment, because this is where our life happens. You know, our thoughts are either in one of two places, in the past or in the future, right? In the past, woulda, shoulda, coulda, why did that happen? But we can't go back there if the past is over, right? We can't get a do-over. We can try better the next time. We can make amends, but it's done. And if we dwell there in the past, that leads to depression. Where I was was in the future. Oh no, what if that happens? I would catastrophize to the worst case scenario. But I don't have a crystal ball and worrying never changed the future anyway. But if we stay in the future thoughts, that leads to anxiety. So the past leads to depression, the future leads to anxiety. The truth is you cannot have a thought about the present moment. You can only have an experience of it through your senses. What's happening? What am I seeing, hearing, tasting, touching? Because once you're thinking about it, it's actually already passed. So if all you're doing is spending your time in your thoughts, you're missing your life because your life happens right here, right now in this moment and this moment. So that's the hokey part of meditation, the be here now stuff, but yeah. that's the truth. I don't think that's hokey because what you explained to me was so valuable because it's so black and white. It's, it's very, and, and, and the things that's, that stood out for me during the meditation were that the breath is your anchor. Yeah. And we forget Absolutely. that, you know, it's there, it's, it's the vital part of living. We need the breath to live and we take it for granted or we don't notice it. And, you know, I, I think that that call back to sort of see how I'm feeling when I'm, when I'm nervous or anxious about something, how I'm breathing, you know, you breathe shallow, like up in your chest. And that's yeah. why when I said earlier, I went outside and I kind of paused and took a deep breath in because I realized that I had crossed over into a different threshold of being outside and the cool air sort of hit my face. It's cold out. And, um, and the other thing that struck me is that I have a really old dog, a big black lab at my feet and he, he breathes and snores. And, and so when I was breathing, sometimes it was in unison with his breath. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> so when you were saying, listen to the things around you and way off in the distance, I can hear somebody blowing leaves. Mm -hmm. um, but right here, you know, to, to hear my dog breathing like that, and that sometimes we were <laughs> in sync. Yeah. Sync. yeah. Well, the thing about noise is a lot of people think, well, you know, they get distracted by the leaf blower or they mm -hmm. get to, I can't, it's not quiet enough for me to meditate. And the truth is 
we don't live on the top of a mountain in an ashram where it's totally silent and everyone's, you know, we, we live in a world of distraction. So how do we connect to the breath? How do we stay, find that stillness within the distraction of life? And it's to really incorporate the sounds, to notice the sounds, to just allow them to be there. We can't fight that. We can't fight the leaf blower outside. And and that the suffering in our lives actually comes from the fighting, right? Mm -hmm. It's like trying to make what is, isn't. The leaf blower is there. Just allow it. Just allow it to be there. Just notice it. Oh, there's the leaf blower. Yeah, I'm irritated by it. Okay, come back to my breath. And you taught me something that I teach my students all the time, and I credit you. And um, our bodies are always in the present moment, right? So you taught me, like, to ask myself, where are my feet? Feel my feet, you know? And I ask myself during the day, a lot of times, 20 times a day, and be where your feet are, feel your feet. It's the same thing. To connect to the breath, to connect to the body, takes us out of the thought processes. And and when I say, you know, um, you can't have a thought about the present moment and not to dwell on the thoughts, sometimes people ask me, well, I have to think. I'm like, yes, of course, you have to think. I'm not saying not to think. Um, I call that toolbox thinking, right? We need to plan for a vacation. We need to solve a problem at our job. We need to follow a recipe. We need to do a Sudoku puzzle, whatever. We obviously are going to be thinking. The difference is when we're in that sort of default neural network of repetitive thoughts that are just going around and around on the loop, we're, we're doing our to-do list in our head for six hours a day instead of writing it on a piece of paper and checking it off. That's the kind of rote, um, automatic, repetitive thoughts that are not really serving us. And that's the autopilot part of yeah. the thinking process that we want to get away from. Because when we're present and we're solving a problem, we have access to our creative thinking. When we're in that sort of default round and around and around the hamster wheel stuff, that's the kind of thoughts that I'm talking about getting away from. And those thoughts give me anxiety. And I also, when you were just saying like you have to, you obviously have to think to do things and recipes and things like that. But what I'm hearing in my head is that like, I want to be fully, the reason I do this work is I want to be fully awake to my life. My life yes. isn't starting next week, next year. You know, you're always like trying to get for better or make things nicer. And I want to be present now. I yes. want to look back and not, and not have missed out on the, the making the recipe that was my grandmother's, <laughs> you know, and that and to smell the smells and to sort of be present to it. And you know, and, and I think that piece about the breath that you said earlier is that if I take a deep breath in right before a pause, you know, another thing you were saying about my, you know, where are my feet? Um, I was playing Mahjong yesterday with my friends and one of my friends won twice in a row. And I thought, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> you know, the competitiveness of us comes out. And I was so close to winning every, you know, we played maybe four games. Right. And I, I said to myself, like, be at ease, Pam. And I repeated yeah. that like over and over to myself, like, just play the game. You're here just to have fun. It's good for your brain. You're with, you're, you know, right. you're with some nice friends and just to be in the experience and not sort of start to get in my head of like, oh, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I love what you said about, you know, wanting to be in your grandmother's recipe yesterday. I, I posted something because my grandmother took me always to, um, the tree at the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Mm. 
And since she passed away, I go, I make it my business to go every year and to see that tree. It's such a memory for me. It's such really etched in my mind. And you might've had this experience where I was talking to a friend and she was reminiscing. We went to college together and she was saying, remember we were at that party and this music was playing and you were wearing that. And, and I, we were eating this. And I was like, no, no, don't remember. Don't remember. She's like, yes, you have to remember. It was such a night and blah, blah, blah. And she pulls out a picture and she shows me and I see that, yes, I was there. Obviously I'm in that picture, but I literally have no recollection. And the truth is I was probably distracted, right? I was had a paper I had to be writing or I was in a fight with my boyfriend or something, but I wasn't really there. I showed up, but I wasn't there. I was somewhere in my head. I was very distracted. If you want to make memories for the future, it starts with being present in the mm -hmm. now, the more present you are. So that night she was very present and I totally wasn't. So the more memories that you wanna create, right? I was, when my grandmother took me to that tree, I was all in, I was like a sponge and I was absorbing the sights and the sounds and the, the I was fully in that experience. So that memory is etched in my mind, right? And it's not a guarantee we're gonna remember everything because there's so much in our minds. Yeah. And certainly at 62, I have so much more in my mind now than I did, you know, even 10 years ago. But if we, by the way, you look 42, create, just, oh, not to, I just have to throw that out there for the listeners that you are, uh, you're timeless beauty and you really, oh, I think you. that your work makes you beautiful, you know, um, uh, and you know what, one of, one of the things that I ask people is, uh, you know, at a small group to get people talking, I'll say, you know, tell me something truly miraculous that happened in the last week. And people will be like, oh gosh, I don't know, but they, everybody thinks of something and when they tell their story, they light up. They're so excited about it. It's tangible. You're in the moment with them. And it's because they were fully awake to yes. that moment. Like you're talking yes. about going to the tree with your grandmother. Fully. 100%. Awake. So if we want to live an awakened life, and of course, to me, that's what I try and teach my students, right? To live an awakened life is to be awakened to all of what is present. And sometimes it's the beautiful ugly, right? It's it's the sadness and the grief that we need to awaken to as well. John Kabat-Zinn, he's like the father of American mindfulness practice. He talks about the full catastrophe of life. He calls it the full catastrophe, which I love because it's really being being awake to the pain and the joy, being awake to the fullness of this human experience. You know, it's so fleeting. And um, most of us are sleepwalking through our lives until we begin to be present. And in that presence is the awakening. And as painful as it can be, there is beauty in that. There is joy in that. It's the bittersweet of this existence of life. You know, no one gets away unscathed. And to be a part of it, to be awakened to it. I mean, that's the way I want to live in high vitality, in the fullness and the richness of this experience. And I wasn't living in that way for most of my life, for many, many years until I started to practice. And that's why it's like, it's, I call it like the thousand petaled lotus. Like it just keeps opening. And there's so many gifts to being present that I didn't know about when I was living on an autopilot way, you yeah. know, trying so to distract the, myself. What was the turning point for you personally? You know, what, yeah. what time in your so, life did, and how did it arrive? And how did you, how did you shift into this new way of being? You know, I got to, 
a point in my life where I had no choice. So I was suffering from panic attacks. I was um, awakening to some childhood abuse memories. I was 50. Um, I became an empty nester. Um, my stress had become unmanageable and I was in therapy and the therapy really helped to quell the panic attacks, but I was kind of left with this free floating anxiety that I thought I just had to live with. It was very hard. I had what I called my fearful fantasies. Um, if I didn't see my kids when they were younger going into the school, I thought someone grabbed them, chopped them up, put them in a suitcase and left them for dead. My husband didn't call me right at seven o'clock every day. I was sure someone like pushed him onto the New York City subway tracks and I would never see him again. Obviously, none of those horrible things happened. But that's the kind of thoughts I had running through my head all day long. And when you have those kind of insane, fearful, crazy thoughts, you think you're nuts. And it's exhausting to pretend that you're fine. Mm. And so oh, that catches... just pause there for a second. Yeah. <laughs> Say that again. It's yeah. exhausting to pretend that you're fine. Yeah. And people who knew me would have thought I was the most together person they know. Like I thought I should be winning an Academy Award because I was the biggest imposter. Right. I and I and and walking through the world like that is is exhausting. And I was very anxious and I wasn't sleeping. And, you know, I had an eating disorder and I was binge eating. And I mean, just like my my life was unmanageable. And so a friend took me to a meditation class and I was like, oh, my God. It's the best hour of my life. I was like shocked. It's like, I want more of this. This was amazing. And so I started to go to that class religiously. It was on Wednesdays at 11 o'clock. And I was working for a crazy boss at the time. And it was my sacred hour. I said, you know, I, that's, that's the, I have to go on Wednesdays at 11 o'clock. I go to this class. That's my lunch hour. I'm, I can't miss that. And I would go religiously to my class and I would hear my teacher say every week, it's great that you're here for an hour a week. It'd be better if you were meditating just 10 minutes every day. And I was like, great, thanks. Bye. See you next week. And I didn't really do anything about it for almost a year. And then I was like, why Wednesdays are the best day of my week. What am I doing differently? <laughs> the only thing I was doing differently was going to that class. And so I was like, okay, you need to do this every day. And I, sat myself down and it was challenging in the beginning, but I noticed so much, you know, I, I just started to feel better. And, and once I meditated every day, the trajectory of my life really took off in a, in a new way. And I had so much more peace and so much more clarity and I felt so much better. And then I kept hearing, so you know what happens as the, as the mind chatter begins to quiet, I'll never go away, but it begins to settle. I was hearing as I was meditating that still small voice, right? Which I believe is that intuitive voice that connects me to the deepest part of who I am and also to my source. And I kept hearing, you should quit your job. You should be a meditation teacher. And I would look around when I would get out of my meditation. I would say, why? Like, I can't quit my job. That's crazy. Like, I need this money and I can't, you know. And um, so I heard that enough times and about uh, four or five years in, I quit my job and I went back to school at 55 and I became a meditation teacher because I wanted to share with other people what had changed my life so profoundly. 
And can um, I have you pause again just for a second? Yeah. I just want to note, just note that you said that it it was hard work at first. And the things that we want, you know, don't necessarily come easy. There's an un, an, an unease, like or an uncomfortableness that we have to push ourselves through. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I what I call that is the difference between the willingness and the wantingness, right? So we can be willing to do something that we don't want to do. So the ego mind is very strong and that's the part's like, oh, I don't wanna do that. I don't wanna get up earlier. I don't wanna sit. I, and there's days that I think that too. You know, it's like, oh, so I really wanna do it. But the willingness to do something that you don't want to do is how commitment happens, right? I am willing to sit on my cushion every day, even on the days that I don't want to do it because the benefits show up for myself in my life. And they're so profound that I won't let anything get in the way of that. It's like being committed to going to the gym or a run, you know, you might not always want to do it, but you do it because you know you feel better. And I, for I me, have that practice for yeah, pray every morning, in, which is very meditation-like in in a lot of ways. Depending, I do a lot of popcorn style because I don't like to get stuck in the same. But it changed my life in the same way that meditation did for you. But it's a practice, and there are days that I don't want to do it that yeah. I might be called into the kitchen to to take care of something or to for one of my kids, and but you know, with four little kids, I managed to get up before them right. for 20 years and to have that five minutes or, or 55 minutes, whatever it was that day, it changes for myself. And it, and it was a commitment. I love that you say that it was a commitment because I knew I'd be better because of it, even, especially the days I didn't want to do it. You're like, Oh, I'm so glad I did that. Yeah. Well, I, I teach my students to, I call them the C's to conquer your practice. The first C is commitment, right? So it's the willingness to do something when you don't want to do it. The second C is consistency. Like my teacher said to me, it's better that you do it 10 minutes every day than instead of 20 minutes twice a week or an hour once a week, right? So even if you did five minutes every day, that would be better. So the consistency. And then the last C is choice. How do you see your practice? If it's a chore, it'll be at the bottom of your to-do list. But if it's something you learn to cherish, like I love my meditation practice so much, I cherish it, then I'll, I'll make sure that I do it. I, I hold it fast and I, and I take care of it. You know, it's like something I love. So I, I bring attention to it and I, and I take care of it. So it's commitment, consistency, and choice. Is it a chore or something you cherish? And you talked about your intuition or, you know, hearing that in your head. Do you think that, you know, we all have that ability and some of us more than others. Do you think that meditation helps fine tune that skill? Without a doubt. Um, so meditation really change, trains your attention, right? It trains your attention in three ways to be focused on one thing at a time, to be focused in the present moment. And then to focus inward, to connect to the deepest part of who you really are, right? So I'll give you an example that I, that I use when I teach. Let's say you open an invitation to a party and you're like, ugh, I so don't want to go there. And within a millisecond, you're in your head and you hear that voice that says, of course you have to go. What happens if you don't go? Everybody thinks you expects you to go there, right? Well, well you got to show up, 
right? So it, it's like that chicken voice. That's relatable. <laughs> right? That's so you go, relatable. you show up. And when you get there, you're like, oh, I knew I shouldn't have come. Why didn't I listen to myself? You say, why didn't I listen to myself? Well, you listen to something because you went. You listen to that voice in your head, but you know intuitively that when you say, I didn't listen to myself, there is a deeper presence to who you are. And that I believe is our connection to our soul. And I believe that the connection to our soul is what connects us to each other in a very deep way, to everyone on this planet, we are connected. And what connects me to source, to the divine. That intuition is not about the thoughts in my head. It's something deeper. It's a knowing. It's a, it's a connection. It's the hairs on the back of my neck. It's the synchronicity that shows up. It's the word. You know, I, I was just thinking, I, I do a word for the year. Like, what is my word for the year? And so I think about it. I sit in meditation and I try out different words and Sometimes something comes to me and then it changes in a meditation. I hear something, you know, and so I've been thinking, I think my word this year is going to be grace. That feels like what my word's going to be. And, and that morning I had kind of sort of solidified it. It was um, Tuesday. What's today? Oh, it was, was it yesterday? No, today's Thursday. Okay. <laughs> Two days ago. And I thought to myself, my word is grace. And I walked down to the, take the train and to New York to see the tree that I just mentioned. <laughs> and when I walked down to the train station in Maplewood, there's new paintings. And one of them said grace on it. And I was like, okay, that's my word. So that deeper part, that intuitive part, I think we all have a connection to it, but we've what forgotten is that you heard the word you had yeah. it in the meditation, but then in the outside world, and see, I think people miss this part, is that there are a lot of affirmations, there are signs that we see, and you'd be like, oh, and you, we, we pass it off. We'll be like, oh, there's that word grace. Isn't that silly that I was just thinking of that? That's why I love like when you read a quote and you carry it with you for the day, look for that word or phrase at the grocery store. When a friend says it, if a stranger, you know, happens to say it or use it or you know, or it bubbles up again throughout the day that really stay with that. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah. Well, I call them the God winks, you know, ah, that, to that. me, that's a God wink. You know, I, there's a great book called when God winks um, by Squire Rushnell. And so to me now I notice all of that and that lets me know that I'm connected to the divine, right. And I'm connected to the source energy that I can't totally ever understand or fathom, but I know that it exists. Yeah, and I, and I didn't the know that you're using that's so relatable to everyone. I didn't know that before I meditated. I felt very untethered. I think at that point in my life, I was also asking those questions. Is this all there is? I have everything I think I wanted and I'm not happy. My life feels unmanageable. All of those things were bubbling up for me at 50. Um, and when I started to meditate, all of that started to just settle, settled in deeply into my body because, you know, we're kind of like little boats on the surface of the ocean being battered around by the storms of life. But below that, there is a stillness in the depths of the ocean. And we have that stillness inside of us. We've just forgotten how to be connected to it. And in meditation, you start to sink deeper 
into that connection to the stillness and you bob back up and then you sink back down but you can almost taste it in a way that you can't when you're walking around in life and to be in silence to be in stillness feels scary to many many people because when you slow down enough then you start to really hear and you start to really notice like all the things that might not be working in your life and like i said before i think we have all the answers inside of us and sometimes we don't want to hear that answer that we know is the truth you know some might someone might be searching for in their relationship should i really stay in this marriage and they they stay for years and years even though somewhere inside them they know that they don't want to and if they got still enough and quiet enough they would hear that and they don't want that yet yeah, or ever yeah fear fear blocks us for me getting there is part of that full catastrophe it's like okay i'm showing up for whatever is here for me whether it's painful or, or pleasant. Uh, I'm just willing to be here for it all now where I wasn't before. And I know this from working with women for so long is that everything that you named about yourself, the insecurities, the things that were going on with, with you and your head and the anxieties. And that is, everybody feels that way. It's universal, but it's yeah. for the people that have found tools like meditation or prayer or, you know, a combination of both, um, or any of these breath practices that the simplicity of it that you mentioned at the very beginning, applying these to your life, like you did, like that Wednesday, that one hour on Wednesdays was the, the greatest thing that ever happened. And I believe, you know, it was calling you into being this, this great leader and teacher that you've become, Thank you. but there, there's a solution to it. We don't have to live like that. And what you're offering us today is this gift of meditation this slowing down and sort of this undercurrent. There's this great uh, quote by Margaret Silf, and I don't have it off the top of my head, but they talk about in like your example about the water in the boats is that the waves are crashing, but if you go 10 feet down, there's stillness. Yeah. And that if we can go 10 feet down below the surface, that we can tap it. What you're offering is tapping into that, you know, the yeah. way that you can. It's, it's available to everyone. You know, meditation is everyone's birthright. There's nothing about me that made me, you know, more susceptible to meditation or better at meditating than anyone else. It's a skill set. I learned the tools and I practiced them. And I was a anxious mess. I mean, I was a wreck, really. And now I'm not. Um, and so I know where people are coming from. I mean, I was so, you know, I didn't know how to say no. I was people pleasing all over the place. I ended up giving myself Epstein-Barr virus. I mean, I had to get sick to order to learn how to say no. I mean, really, I'm telling you, I was stressed out. I was a mess. I was sick. I was, you know, eating horribly. I was like, really? And, and working for someone that was crazy and in a terrible job. And just like, I was sad. And, and and now I'm joyful all the time. And, you know, not all the time. I'm in deep grief, but I can still feel joy in the midst of that grief instead of just being like flat and sad. And it's joy and grief or joy and sadness are always in perfect company with one another. It's like that yin and yang and you can have yes. both. And most of our lives, we are dealing with both. But what I'm hearing, too, is that you were offered this invitation and we all are. And people listening today are offered this invitation to go deeper, to check out, you know, mindfulness meditation. And you said yes to it. And it changed everything. 
And it took time and it took practice, but yet, you know, you went from, you know, who wants to be in that place of anxiety, people pleasing, you know, and, and I've, I've lived like that. I was like that when I was younger. I, I was saying to my girls recently that if somebody asked me to do something on Saturday night, I would say yes. And then somebody else would ask me to do something on Saturday night and I would say yes. I know this sounds crazy. This is the, the young me because I was afraid to say no. And yeah. then I would torture myself all week long. The anxiety of like, I've got to let somebody down because I can't do both. Or I'd figure out like, how can I do both? And I'd kill myself to run to one place and then drive to the other one. And, and I just said, it's okay to say no to things. You know, it's, it's yeah. powerful and okay to say, wow, thanks for thinking of me, but I can't do that this weekend. I already have plans. Like why I didn't get yeah. that, but you know, that younger younger me matured into, you know, and because I had this anxiety of wanting to please everyone, but there's this other way of being that you and I both have tangible experiences of and wisdom to, to say to others, it doesn't have to be like that. Yeah. I was totally motivated and still am to some degree about not disappointing anyone else in my life. And I I read in Untamed, which I just love. It's become like my Bible. It's such a great book. I don't know if you've read it, but um, Glennon Doyle says in Untamed something about how you need to disappoint people over and over again in your life so that you don't disappoint yourself, Mm. right? That's the most important thing she taught her daughter. Like, it's okay to disappoint me, even though I'm your mom. Don't disappoint yourself. And that's been really a learning for me. Um, and it's a learning curve. You know, it's like hard for me to say no, but I'm getting so much better at setting boundaries for myself. And, you know, some people in my life are not in my life anymore because they wanted me to always be doing for them. And I couldn't anymore. You know, you start to get in touch with how you want to live and how you want to be. And my circle is smaller, but it's, it's richer, you know? Um, and I love that. Ex- and that's really important too, Anne, is that your circle is smaller, but it's, did you, what did you say? It's richer. Yeah. Yeah. You want people around you that love you and celebrate you and like you for who you are on the inside. And, and, uh, it's just such an important and valuable way to be. And I think, you know, for me at 62, I'm more myself who I'm meant to be today than I've ever been before. Cause I spent a lot of my life trying to be who I thought everybody else wanted me to be. And now I'm just like more willing to be who I'm, who I really am. And that's hard to find out who you really are, but I, but I'm learning to really like who I really am and be who I really am. And and that's okay. Um, and I think we're not taught that as women. We're really taught to like, you know, try and be who we think we're supposed to be. Yeah. You know, the good girl or this or that. And, um, you know, I, I'm i just letting my freak flag fly. You know? <laughs> I mean, it's like, and it's okay. I've found places and people and circles in where I can totally be that and and it's um you know i wear tie-dye i have feathers in my hair like you know you're a cool 62 year old you (laughs) well i also think that um that i have had different different seasons of my life i'm always evolving and changing too 
And, you know, I don't think that will ever end until, until the end for me. And so I, I've had different friends for different reasons along and different seasons. And I think that that's okay too, um, to, you know, to trust that, that, that your source will send the right people on your path if you're, if you're open and willing to it. So can people, uh, work with you. I know that, and I'm going to have all the information for how people can find you, uh, on my website and connect with, you know, you work with corporations, you also work with individuals, um, you, everything is virtual right now. Is that correct? Um, everything except for, I teach a in-person class, which I love at Bhakti Barn, which is in Melbourne, um, Melbourne, I New Jersey, I say, Melbourne, New all, Jersey, all over the world yes. listen to the podcast. So. Yes. In Melbourne, New Jersey, I still teach, um, one live class a week at one o'clock on Thursdays, although I'm not going in today because I was exposed to COVID over this week. So mm-hmm. I'm doing it virtually. We're in a hybrid, um, situation so people can come to that class either virtually or in person, but I am there um, usually every Thursday in person. Um, And everything else, um, sometimes if people are local in Essex County and they wanna work with me personally and they're comfortable with me coming to their home and they're vaxxed and I'm vaxxed, then I'm willing to do that. Um, But I work mostly virtually. I teach for many different platforms, many different schools. I have my own um, personal platform where people can meditate with me in a, subscription community way I teach Is by that through Zoom. Facebook and no it's no. through my website okay um, it's called my website is uh, mindfulness meeting place and my virtual community is called sit in place and they can access that through my website um, and and I teach for a company called B meditation they're out of Seattle that's virtual so I teach there three times a week um, starting a new with a new company called fitness x under the umbrella of plant x which is uh um so i'll be teaching there starting in january so people people can connect with you which i think is uh you know a great addition to not only listening to this podcast but then being able to directly connect with you uh if they want to i also wanted to mention that in a podcast with my talking joy team that we did your bliss buddy project that you oh, have yeah. this gratitude book that you wrote that people can get on Amazon. I'll also have links for that on the website, but we did the practice of having a gratitude buddy, um, which I thought was really rich. And for me personally, I had a gratitude buddy with two of my, my team members, cause there's seven of us. And anyway, that's just how it worked out. But I noticed that there was a connection with us virtually doing this that deepened over the weeks and that we really started to open up and and be really honest about things that were happening in our lives. And it was, it was just a beautiful experience. And I would invite people to get a bliss buddy, gratitude buddy slash gratitude buddy to share their gratitudes with each day. And you can talk about that just a little bit and people can also listen to the podcast, but I do want to say that in the podcast, you know, everybody was like, oh, we did it. We're like, we were really good at it. And then we kind of fell off. And, and that's part of, I'll can talk you talk to that? To that? Yeah. That's yes, part of the process. I, would, I would love to speak to that. It's not so a negative. I, right. I created um, the Bliss Buddy Project actually at Camp Powerment, which is a woman's retreat that I teach at. And so I was doing this gratitude circle and I asked people if they wanted to pair up and there was an odd number. And one of the women, I said, okay, great. We'll, you'll be my bliss buddy. That was almost eight years ago. And the way I invite people to do it is try it for 30 days and then see where you want to go with it. So she and I tried, her name is Jana. 
she and I tried for 30 days, then we did it for another 30 days. And after that, we thought, well, we want to do it, but we don't want to be beholden to do it every day. And over the eight years, we have sort of in waves, you know, sometimes we'll do it every day, then we don't do it for like two weeks, then something's, and it's not that I don't think of her every day, which I do. And, and I know from her, she thinks of me, we notice things that I call bliss moments, right? Something small that you're grateful for, that brings you joy, that brings you a smile, and you report it to your buddy. There's an acronym in the book to follow. And and so we'll go back to it. We'll send each other texts. And it has been this beautiful connection over time and space and distance. Um, she lives in Houston, Texas. We've only been together in real life like six times or seven times when we come back to Camp Powerment retreats. And um, it's a beautiful thing and it has sustained me. And we've developed this incredible friendship over time. And I think it waxes and wanes and you don't want to feel like you're a failure if you drop off connection for a while, but just know that that person is there for you and reach back. And, yeah. and that's what Jana and I do. Like from time to time, we reach back, we, we get into a rhythm and then we fall away and then we get back to it. But I know she's always there. And did you find too, when she reached out, reaches out to you with a bliss moment that you're like, oh gosh, yes, I have one too. And the, the yeah, other thing that absolutely. I thought, one of my biggest takeaways from that was that as an adult, you know, there aren't many people in my life that I can say, oh my gosh, my son, Teddy, you know, gave this, this speech the other night at a banquet and I was nervous for him and he got up and he just he nailed it. And I just was like teary eyed. It was just, you know, he's my youngest, he's graduating from high school. I can't tell everybody that because, be, you know, think you're right. bragging or whatever, but my bliss buddy, I can tell them, Hey, this was a really, and then they get like a glimpse into my life of what, what's important to me. Right. Absolutely. I was fully present to that moment, fully awake. Yeah. I'll never forget it. Um, and, and I was able to share that without feeling like with your parents, as I was saying, like, if you have a relationship right. and your parents are still alive, good for you. And isn't that great. And I bet you, you'll call your mom and say, Oh, this happened. And, but that's about it. You don't really tell your friends casually, yeah. you know, you're bragging about your, <laughs> bragging about your kid, but that love part that. of the bliss buddy, I felt like you could, you could really let yourself be honest about the joys and, and, and things that are happening in your life. And I, and I think for me and for Jana and the joy runs the gamut from something like that, like mm -hmm. a really rich personal moment with your family that could feel like bragging, but you're just like overjoyed to the kind of moment that I sent her just the other day where I went to get my car washed, which was filthy. And the suds were rainbow color. And it was like this beautiful rainbow pattern of suds on my car. I've like seen that was that. my That's bliss so cool. moment, you know? And it's like, oh my God, rainbow suds on my little car. And I was so happy. Like, so it can be something really yes, mundane. I agree. Or it can be something really profound. Yeah. And and there is, and that's the thing about joy, right? Joy is spontaneous. It's It can be a small moment. It can be a big moment. There's not a hierarchy for joy. You know, it, it, exactly. it encompasses so much from, and, and the Bliss Buddy Project really encourages people to find the little moments because I think when you, when you can notice that you might not always have these very big things to be grateful for. And, and when you start to look at that, you can be disappointed. Like, well, I don't have those really big moments, but if you can distill it down to the little moments, yes. like 
the rainbow suds in a car wash, you know, then, then you can string together small moments all through the day and then you can have a joyful day. Yeah. Or you're on a treasure hunt. Yeah. You know, sometimes I was on a treasure hunt looking for the things, but I was traveling one of the weeks uh, that we were doing this and I was in Utah and I would just send a picture of a sunset or of a mountaintop and it was just self-explanatory. I said, no words needed. Yep. You know, so yeah. it was just little blisses of like, oh, you can see through what I'm seeing through my eyes here. So, yeah. Um, so thank you for that. And I encourage people to to look into that. And you can also listen to the the Talking Joy uh, team podcast, you know, as an addition to to this podcast for that. So uh, in closing, I often ask uh, the people I'm interviewing the wise words that they're living by right now or what's the theme for their life. Um, you know, I love quotes and. Uh, Me too. You said that your favorite quote is from the little prince um, and that it's your credo. And you said it is only with the heart that one can see rightly. What is essential is invisible to the eye. Yeah, it's my favorite book. It's my favorite quote. My kids learned it when they were very little. They know if I have a tombstone, it will be on my tombstone. I'm not sure I'm going to be buried, but it has always been. I read the book when I was 13. I've read it every year since. And it is the way that I live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it touches my heart, that quote. Mm. It is only with the heart that one can see rightly what is essential is invisible to the eye. It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. This has been great. I love you, Pam. Yeah, I love you too. This was really beautiful. And I think it to be helpful too to a lot of people, especially, especially given these uncertain times that we're living in. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks for being a light in the world for so many people. Thank you. And you too. Um, You've always been a light for me and I really appreciate that. I'm Pam Rotelli Robertson, and you have been listening to Talking Joy, talks that help you realize your value while creating authentic connections with others. For more information about our talk today or to get in touch, you can find us at TalkingJoy.org. And to keep the encouragement going, you can also follow Talking Joy on Instagram and Facebook. Simple, joyful, fun. Thanks for listening. This is Talking Joy.